Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. of a three-part interview series I did with the Kathy Baldock. You guys, Kathy is a hero of mine. I love who she is. I love the work she's doing, the courage, the tenacity she's brought to the table of LGBTQ plus theology. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Let's get into it. I know you have lots of conversations and you do some social media advocacy work in all the different spaces that you've had conversations, specifically with evangelical Christians. What do you tend to run into when you're working with Christians who are non-affirming in this space, what kind of things do you find get in the way more often than other things in that conversation? Gay people exist. They are not making a choice to be gay. It is not a rebellion against God. They cannot change their orientation. That was kind of like the 1990s, 1980s, 1990s, 2000s. And then the conversation starts changing. And even like they had to marry heterosexually to invigorate their heterosexual potential. How crazy is that? Yeah, bring another spouse. Let's bring a straight spouse into this equation and like destroy their life 15 years down the road. But today it's today it looks good at the altar when we've got flowers and boutonnieres, right? It looks good today. So that conversation has changed. And now the conversation is we acknowledge that gay people exist, but now we want them to be celibate for the rest of their lives. Okay. So that's kind of goalpost keeps moving. I mean, I don't know who's moving that goalpost. Is it God that keeps moving this goalpost? Like I wish he would make up his mind and just stay there, but God keeps seeming to change his mind. So this is where we are now. The predominant belief is that gay people just, okay, we get that you're gay, but now you have to be celibate for the rest of your life. So what all of these people are missing. And on my website, I've reviewed over 60. I'm the most prolific reader reviewer of anti-Christian, anti-LGBTQ books. Between like when I finished with the last book, I still wanted to stay productive. Like I didn't want to just like talk about this book. I wanted to keep learning. So I decided, oh, this would be a good project. Just start reading and reviewing these books. And then it became obsessive. Like I would do two or three in a month. And I would, and I mean, I do epic reviews. I mean, if you're allowed 5,000 words, I'm at 4999, but I educate in my reviews. So any book that you think that I should read, yeah, I've probably read it and done an academic review, thoughtful review. I'm never nasty in my reviews. I've read all of these books and what they all And I think there's only one person that tries to do contextual words, but he does it only in the first century. Every one of these people all have skipped the 2000 years. Every single one of these ignores all this progress of what we have understood. And they also ignore contextual understanding. There was no such thing as a homosexual. I mean, that is kind of a category when they started recognizing that people had innate different sexual attractions. This thinking starts in Germany in the late 1800s and they're struggling with it. And the reason it's happening in Germany is because Germany has the most lax 
censorship laws in the Western world. The rest of the Western world won't even allow these conversations or even these academic medical science books to come into the United States. Like you couldn't have mailed a book like ha by Havelock Ellis or Magnus Hirschfeld, some of the big sexologists of that turn of the century time, you could not have put that in the mail in the 1920s in the United States. It would have been taken from you. You couldn't have done that in the 1920s in England. It would have been taken from you. Germany is the place where the conversations are happening. And then after the First World War, because the German citizens under Wilhelm had been censored to some degree, censorship was outlawed. Study of sex in Germany booms. There's a guy named Magnus Hirschfeld that owns, opens a sex institute in Berlin and starts collecting records of over 20,000 people, 130 question questionnaire. He's getting the information. He's starting to go in other places in the world and speak if they allow him to. But people are starting to see themselves in the literature, see themselves in books by like Richard von Kraftebing, who was writing Psychopathia Sexualis. And he would write a new edition because people would write to him and say, here's my thing. Here's what I do that's not procreative, heterosexual, missionary, penis, vagina stuff. And he starts investigating. And the more he publishes, the more people speak, right? Because they're not speaking. So someone's telling their story, that's me. So people are speaking. The records start getting collected. And then Hitler comes along. Magnus Hirschfeld, he considers him a socialist. He's a Jew and he's teaching non-German stuff about sex because Hitler wants all sex to be procreative, right? One of the first major book burnings, the book burning that you often see in historical records is the burning of the Sex Institute. 20 years of records and anything that has started being collected in the 1860s and 70s, everything's housed there, wiped out and not duplicated anywhere else in the world because the censorship laws are so high. So all of the progress at the beginning of human sexuality in understanding orientation is gone. And then where it's not gone, they're sneaking it in and it's seen as obscene. The information is not getting around. All kinds of stuff happens culturally and legally, and gay people are just hiding. They're hiding. The military is against them. The legal system is against them. The Christians are against Everybody is against them, and they're not coming out of the closet to speak, and it doesn't happen until the 60s. So this huge period of time when it's just about to organically bust destroyed. And I see that through much of history. It's just about to get there. And someone with power does something, either there's a positive or negative. And it's a pattern you'll see. And this is all in the next book. Is homosexuality in the Bible? No. What are those sexual behaviors we see? They are lustful, excessive, dominant, abusive, aggressive, using other people's or pleasing myself sexual behaviors. That is what anyone is capable of, male, female, heterosexual, bisexual, transgender, anyone's capable of that. In the new RSV, this letter causes the teen to do a revision. And the revision they do is the first time contractually they can do it, which is 1971. And they change homosexual to sexual pervert. But four translations of the Bible, the Living Bible, the New American Standard, the NIV, and which other one? They all had started work as early as the 50s and all based their work on the RSV. So they all carried it and multiplied the work, the word homosexual, homosexualities, homosexuals in five other places in the Bible. So the Living Bible is the first one to put it into Leviticus, Deuteronomy, in all of these. It's just inserted.
the RSV corrects it in 1971 to sexual perverts, and the new edition of the RSV that comes out has come out. Then there was an NRSV, and I think 81 or 82. But the new one is the NRSV, the new revised version, small u, small e, updated edition. The digital copy is out already. The paper copy will be out this spring, I think. And that says male prostitute, which is pretty accurate. It doesn't play in this world, but someone who who prostitutes themselves for sex, someone who lets others use them for sex. And then the other one is men who participate in illicit sex. The word homosexual is gone. Men who participate in illicit sex, newsflash, can be heterosexual men. And there are lots of people that are very upset that homosexual has been taken out of the revised standard version because, oh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6 and the word isn't there. And so what I'm hoping happens is when we bring this to light, people will see that they have let their ideology guide their Bible translations and that we can get back to Orthodox Christianity, traditional views of these verses and correct the error. And since it's only 60 years old, that can be corrected, you know, by the hiker bum and the financial planner guy and the pastor up in Canada. (laughs) That's a pretty lofty goal. It's the truth. One thing I want to ask you about when it comes to your reviews of all these other books out there, these non-affirming theology books, I'm curious, why do they keep writing more books of this? Is there anything new coming out in what they're sharing in terms of their findings? Most people that are writing them now are writing, combining it up with their stories. And I'm not even going to give you the most popular titles because I just don't want to promote. You can find reviews. There's a few that might be popular amongst the Bethel community that I haven't reviewed yet because I've decided reviews take me three to four days. I'm an incredibly fast reader, but I also am very precise in my writing because I, I choose to educate. And so I have a stack of 12 books, which are or purchased already, which I haven't gotten to. And as soon as the book goes into edits, I'll be back to a job I love to do, which is review books. Most of them tell their stories. So it's really hard to refute someone's story. You were convinced you needed to be celibate and could be gay and be celibate. I mean, you weren't talking about it, but that is a pattern I see. This is what God expects of me out of really sloppy theology. They take the sloppy theology and they apply it to their life because they want to please God. But some of them are coming up with new language. Some of them say, you know, for a while there in the 2010s, it was the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, it's holy sexuality. I mean, come on. And then one of the most prolific speakers, Christopher Yuan, he's come up with totally new language. He is a gay man. He doesn't want to say that. He'll say he's same-sex attracted. He is a celibate gay man. And he's been walking, you know, my review of his two books, I think are really noteworthy. They're very good. He has now changed the language to say, I don't want to see it that there's heterosexuals and homosexuals. I want to see that there's married and unmarried. That's the way he can split it now. Married people are expected to behave this way. All unmarried people, including gays, are expected to be this way. But when we keep seeing goalpost change, ideology change, God's expectations change, it's really because what they suggested, version 1.0 didn't work, version 2.0 doesn't work, version 3.0 doesn't work, but... A lot of these writers 
will find their new identity and reputation and speaking engagements in this identity, right? So they will always find a church to speak to because churches don't understand this issue. We get that you're gay. We just don't want you to have sex. So these speakers, and I've often heard a book is, you know, the most expensive calling card, business card you'll ever have. It gets them in the conversation. I have not had any of them like directly try to refute what I'm saying about this, these books. The typical stance is they just block me everywhere they possibly can because it's really hard to refute historical context. It's really hard when you know the people that started the reparative change movement. And you know, you've met Yvette. Yvette Cantu-Schneider works for me. And it, she's part of the Canyon Walker team. And she is one of the five main voices in the documentary Pray Away. She was a policy analyst at Family Research Council doing anti-gay things for nine years. And then she was the head of women's ministries at Exodus for two years. And she was saying she was changed. She was no longer or lesbian. She's bisexual. She lived that life for 15 years. A lot of people will say, because this is now, I'm such a worm because I'm a gay person, but here's how I can be righteous and acceptable to God is to speak this way. This is now how I can find my voice and how I can be acceptable is to keep this line. There's some that will never come out. They're gay. <laughs> you don't change your orientation. If you're bi, then... So that's something different. But if you're gay, you're gay. I'm straight. I mean, I'm that's that's not going to change. I have multitudes more gay friends than I do straight friends. I spend most of my time with gay people and here I am. God's not changing me. What I find is they are not engaging theology honestly. They're saying the same things they've always said, but they move the goalposts on celibacy and they ignore 2000 years of history. Common. I could write the review probably from listening to a half hour interview with them because I know what they're doing. They're doing the same thing all the time. So at some point you're going to have to write a, a book. Give it two or three years so you know more. <laughs> you know you're going to write a book. I'll write the foreword for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to, this is recorded. Yeah. <laughs> all right, the forward. To those that are listening, I know this is a lot of information, but it takes solid facts and relationship to override the damage, the wrong damage that's been done. And if you allow yourself to get into a situation like I did in 2006, a room full of gay Christians, it'll totally, I, so I was in LA this weekend and I went to this to the church. I, I sent you a text message from there to New Abbey. And one of your friends, former person at Bethel was the worship leader. And so they break up into discussion groups for five minutes, two different times. And they also asked for good news of the week. And this gentleman sitting right in front of Yvette and I, Jaime, he stood up and he said, I came out this week. He was in his, he's probably in his late forties, maybe early fifties. And he said, it's my coming out birthday. I came out this week. And, you know, people say happy coming out day to you. They sang to him. And then during the discussion time, who, who sticks to the topic? So I tapped him on the shoulder and I said to him, have you watched Pray Away? And he said, yes. And I said, Yvette's in Pray Away right here. She worked in reparative therapy for all those years. Oh, you were that woman. So we start talking. And so I said to him, what was it? Because he stayed closeted. He was a pastor. He was a pastor of a big church nearby. I said, what was it that convinced you to finally come out? Because he He'd been married for 15 years and he was closeted. And he said, someone invited him to an LGBTQ church. And when he saw the spirit of God there, he could no longer deny it. And he, like a lot of people we know, including yourself, resisted reading affirming theology because they thought they were betraying God or committing adultery on God. Jaime said, 
he wouldn't read the books. But when he got into a into an atmosphere of gay Christians, he couldn't believe it. Like, how did you feel when you went to TRP? Yeah, it was wild. It was a lot of feelings. It was shocking. It was like, what the? Because I mean, I was also surprised at how many straight people were there wanting to be part of this conversation and do work in this space. I was like, what am I looking at? This is wild. And yeah, during worship, yeah, it was amazing. It was profound. It, it, it's one of those things. You're like, yeah, this is people talk about the gay conversation like this stuff doesn't happen like this doesn't exist yet I'm standing in this room right now like what there's such a, a dissonance you know yeah it was profound I hope that people that are like me have the courage to you're not stepping out on God when you go and make sure that you're loving or hating appropriately what you define as love I would probably look at and say it's a pretty hateful arrogant attitude the information is there and it's unbelievably easily accessible. No one has to see you picking up walking the Bridges Canyon and sitting on campus and reading this heretical book. Get it on Kindle or just watch a five-hour video, right? Or have conversations, but be willing to listen. Be willing to be wrong. I can guarantee you if you've walked in this bubble for any amount of time, you are not informed. You do not have the latest of what affirming theology is. You do not know. And until you start going down this path and figuring it out, then do a lot of listening and be humble. What is compelling people to continue to fight for silencing, discriminating against, marginalizing the queer community in the theology conversation? What do you think is driving them? Right. If there's so much evidence and so much opportunity for them to change their mind, where is this coming from? Or are there multiple sources you've seen in your research with just everything you've looked at? What are some culprits you're seeing that's causing them to be driven this way? Two disconnected things. If a pastor figures out that they might have this wrong and they start going down an affirming path and pastors lead, you know, we lead from pulpits. If they start going down an affirming path, and even try and privacy to speak to their board of elders or whatever. And they say, can we look at this together? Word will get out. I mean, so there's no way that's going to happen. It's going to get out into the community. These churches that they built that employ six pastors, all this, like they may be responsible for 20 other families income. If a pastor that has been going down this path any amount of time and teaching anti-gay theology switches even thoughtfully they're probably going to lose 40% of their congregation within two to three months and 50% of their money givers. It's a big risk. And some pastors, they might imagine being able to do it to themselves, but they also feel responsible for these other 20 families, right? So that's one thing. And then just the scorn they will have to take for changing their mind from people that respected them and will say all kinds of stuff to them. That's one thing. The other piece is we have since the 1980s, definitely beginning in the late 1970s, wrapped our theology so tightly with politics. And we live in that tribe. Everyone in our tribe looks and thinks like us. And if we question and step outside of the tribe, we lose even as straight people, everything. I homeschooled my children. I voted a particular way. I only associated with couples and people in my church. Well, divorce kind of blew everything up for me. But if I had started questioning within that tight environment, I would have been a pariah very quickly. Even as a single woman, I became a pariah very quickly. So it's, is this thing that you're not sure of, that you don't have any affirming theology about, is risking friendships and family and reputation and church 
and income worth looking at. It is a really hard decision for people to make. And sometimes the only thing that forces people to make this decision, I see the group most willing to make this risk are parents because they know they love their children. And they know that Matthew was the same good person yesterday when he was straight as he is today when he's gay. People where the risk is sort of equal to the relationship will decide to do this. But the typical person to risk reputation, church, all of those things for something that they're not sure of yet is enough to keep you in one place. And like you, Mike, you didn't know there was so much information out there that could help you on this journey. If you're just a person and you don't have all those things, you don't have to invest much energy into cracking the door open to see if there's another way to think about this. And once you crack that door open to realize you may have made mistakes in your treatment of others in the name of Jesus, hopefully that sorrow that you incur will be great enough to drive you forward no matter the price. I mean, we're supposed to, we say, oh, I would lay down my life for that person. Yeah, would you watch a five-hour video? Would you read a 500-page book? Would you have a two-hour conversation listening to somebody? I mean, that's hardly, no one's asking you to lay your life down. We're just asking you to make sure you're loving like Jesus. And the bigger investment you have in being a professional Christian, the riskier it is. What would you say to the gay audience listening to you? I've been really surprised at how much gay people have liked my work because they're getting information that's giving them strength to like say, yeah, what's this about? this all went haywire and such and such. I thought my audience would be like predominantly straight. My audience is predominantly gay because gay people haven't been educated on these topics. I want them to learn better to advocate for their own justice because once you realize the facts are behind you, that opens your mouth quite a bit. And then the other thing is there is a site and I think it's gaychurch.org that will tell you gay affirming churches, churches where you are safe all over the country, all over the world, actually. Get yourself in community, go there, and just be amongst believers and all the things you've been worrying about. But just like my bud, my new buddy, Jaime, as soon as he saw it, that flipped his switch. He is solidly in that church and people will help each other heal hurts and deal with wounds and rebuild new community. So if you're interested in faith, go to gaychurch.org and find a community. Educate yourself still, because as I said, most LGBTQ people don't know this has happened in history because they've been fed a line that's comfortable too. They think, I mean, most people are shocked to know how recently the word homosexual was put in the Bible. The book should be out in November. I just talked to the editor and indexer today, giving them the timeline, save me a spot. Rocky was down with us in LA this weekend doing some final filming. We both think that we're gonna hit next November. There's a different focus on the movie. It's more of the story of finding this and finding David. Someday, Mike, you'll get to meet Reverend David. Please, I want you to link uh, my interview with Reverend David. It's called An Evening with Reverend David. It's at the TRP. If you can get through that, hour and not fall in absolute love with this man. You don't have a soul because he is so sweet. This is the man who, when he was 21 years old, God used to challenge an academic group of theologians. The unbelievable thing is he lost track of that letter. He didn't know they kept that letter. 
And when I found him with the help of my friend, Tina Wood, after 11 months of looking for him, I called him on the phone and, and basically said, did you write a letter to the RSV team 60 years ago? We had a conversation and two hours into the conversation, I finally had to ask him because I knew when I read that letter, that original letter, a straight person could have never written that letter because there was just too much familiarity with it. Someone in the 1950s couldn't have gotten that. And so I knew he was gay, but it took a long time to find him. First and middle name, P.O. Box. That's a miracle. He was not out. At the age of 80 years old, he hadn't come out. And because of this project, writing about him and putting him into this movie, he had to come out. He is the most delightful. He's your retired minister that you will, you know, if he invites you for Easter dinner, you will never miss it. Or he is the grandfather you want. He is that delightful. So this combination package of people that want to educate, want to include, we are not hateful people because we've all, Rocky has been anti, you know, has struggled with her sexuality and her faith. Ed certainly has. David stayed closeted. Hey, I admit it. I laid it on the table. I'm the lady that wrote the letter to the New York Times. We've all been there. And now we're coming together to correct the record. So thank you, Mike. For thank sure. you for listening. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing all this. Thank you for doing everything you're doing. Are you kidding me? I'm so thankful for the work you guys are doing and the correction that is being made here and how necessary it is and how much gets to be prevented from us being able to yes. change the error that's happened for so long now. Like what a gift and what a beautiful testament to the nature of God orchestrating these different players to come together right. and now like rise to the occasion and address this. Like what a cool story and how crazy to be. And how wonderful that our paths cross because as I said to you at one point, you've got so much energy and spirit and power and authenticity, but it was not going to rise to the top. Mm. It was not going to be everything it could or should be if you were going to stay closeted. I mean, how do you ask people to be authentic and live in the spirit and be genuine when you're hiding? Your best years are ahead. We will be sharing stages, but I'll get I'll get the seven hour slot. You'll get the <laughs> I'll get the real estate on the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. That's awesome. <laughs> together. So you're going to do great things in this. You're going to, and I knew that it was very brave to come out, but you had to do it. Kathy, what's the best way for people to follow you just currently where your work is being produced? My website, Kenny Walker Connections, but to follow me, I'm on Instagram at Kathy V. Baldock and Canyon Walker Connections. I'm on Twitter, Canyon Walker, Kathy. And if you say you're a friend of Mike and you come to Kathy V. Baldock on Facebook and you want to learn, I will accept your, your friend request. I don't, I'm not, I don't do random stuff there either, but that is a good place because I keep my interactions solid and high. Nobody can come in and be nasty on my Facebook page. They will be gone. I just don't tolerate that. So I think everybody, I think I have a page that's unbelievably civil. And what you can see there is people interacting with the topic I've done. My biggest following are LGBTQ Christians. And so if you want to know what they're thinking and how thoughtful they are, my page is a good little melting pot. And then when the book is done, I'll go back to podcasts. Okay, great. That's awesome. So you're, you're active on social media and there are certain spaces that are better than others. And that's great. Kathy, thank you so much for taking the time and coming here and sharing all this, your story, your insights, your perspective, your advice. So helpful. You're such a gift to all of us. I'm so glad that you're here and you get to like, just actively influence our minds and help break stuff off. Thank you for exposing me to your audience. They're different than the normal group that I have, right? I mean, they're more resistant. I'm fine with resistance. I've got the creds. On this <laughs> I've done the work. 
<laughs> and you know how bad I was. So I know the other side. I'm so excited for just what the next 10, 20, 30 years are going to look like. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do to this world? You know, I expect the LGBTQ community to show the church what love and mercy look like again, because we, we lost it. Thank you, Kathy. You guys, you have all the access to those links and details in the description of this episode. So feel free to go there for more information. Well, there you have it. The amazing Kathy Baldock. What a treasure and gift these conversations have been. If you want to check out information about Kathy or her work or the YouTube videos out there of her, you can check out all that with the links below this episode. Listen, Kathy doesn't know that I want to do this, but if you would be interested in coming to an event in Nashville where Kathy will do the live teaching that she does, just taking us through her whole work of the journey she was on and the things she discovered about culture and society and politics and religion, all culminating in pigeonholing gay people and using them as a scapegoat. If you would be interested in attending a live training with Kathy here in Nashville about something like that, would you comment on this video? I'd love to just get a petition going of us just voting like Kathy, come out and do this with us. Let's see if we can convince her to do it. And if you're new to NUMA or you don't really know what's going on over here and you're interested in the opportunities or resources that are available, you can actually sign up for a discovery call and someone from my team will do a Zoom call or like DM you on Instagram or whatever and talk to you individually about what you're looking for, how we can help you, ways you can get plugged in. So if that's something you're interested in, you can find a link below this episode to sign up for a discovery call. It's worth a shot. Check it out. We've got a lot of great stuff going on over here. Thank you guys so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.